Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. The Athletic. feels to me like the biggest Carabao Cup, biggest League Cup final we've had for uh, for a long time. What I really like about this title race, you know, as good as Man City and Liverpool have been in recent years, you've just known that they're both going to win every single week a little bit and it's been a little, it's been predictable. It's still been great to watch, but it's been predictable. This feels like an unpredictable title race to me. It's almost like the new signings are kind of buying him a bit more time in, in, in some respects because people are saying it's due to that, but they were pretty poor before those new signings came in. This is a fixture that Spurs really fear, even more so than against Arsenal. They've got a massive inferiority complex when it comes to playing Chelsea. There are clearly concerns um, at the football club as well, but they aren't in the relegation mires yet. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. I'm Dan Bardell and this is the Weekend Preview. The title race is hotting up as Arsenal go on the hunt for points at Leicester City and Manchester City travel to Bournemouth. In the fight for the Champions League qualification places, Spurs look to end Chelsea's faint hopes whilst Liverpool take on Crystal Palace. And in the battle to avoid the drop, Leeds begin life under Javi Grazia and Sean Dyche is out to keep up his 100% record at Goodison Park. That's all to come here on the Weekend Preview. But away from the Premier League, we are going to start with Manchester United v Newcastle United, which is a Sunday 4.30 kickoff. Huge, huge cup final. You do feel like this is going to be a lightning rod for one of these teams. Newcastle are out to end a 68-year wait for domestic silverware. Steve, what was it like the last time they won? Oh, you've been waiting for that one, haven't you? You've been waiting for that. You've been waiting for that. Mind you, I suppose it feels like 68 years for Manchester United as well, a club of their... Of their status, they were they were fourteen to one back in August, Dan. In fact, both clubs were were fourteen to one to win uh, this okay. uh, this trophy uh, back then. And I was just I was looking at the Tranmere game where it was a second string side that Eddie Howe put out, uh, and they were they went one 0 down. Of course, they managed to they managed to get back, and then the next round they beat uh, Crystal Palace on pens, where Nick Pope was fantastic, and he saved three. I think he saved a couple of penalties in that game as well. So. And of course, the big factor is uh, Nick Pope won't be there at the weekend. 
Yeah, well, come on, come on to Nick Pope. He won't be saving any penalties on Sunday. But Tim, for Manchester United and Newcastle, as I mentioned in the in the intro to this game, they're two clubs that are undoubtedly now in the right place. That they're on the up. But that first trophy is always the big one of a new regime, and and whoever wins this is going to be a big moment for either side. Yeah, definitely. I'm really looking forward to it. To be honest, it's t- it's two it's two clubs, as you say, on the up. It's two huge fan bases, and. Two clubs desperate for silverware for one, for one reason or other. I mean, Steve's put it really well. You know, it'll feel like 68 years for Man United. So there's a lot riding on it. There's a lot of consequences that will come from it. But, you know, rather than sort of worry about whether it affects Champions League form or form in Europe or whatever, I'd just like to concentrate on what's going to be a, a, an epic cup final. You know, often in these cases, you kind of wonder... Or how much does this team want it? Will they even play their best 11, perhaps on some occasions? But there's absolutely none of that. It's it's the League Cup final that we've all waited for, I guess. Yeah, I think there's been less of that over the years. In the, in the Cup finals, especially, when, once you get there, there's not much rotation goes on. The second-choice goalkeeper might play every now and again for, for the big sides like Manchester City, for, for example, or, or Liverpool. But generally now, teams are taking it seriously. There's only four, four trophies. Any team can only win four trophies at the start of the season. This is a huge, huge day for, for both clubs, you know, like you said, Tim, for, for completely different reasons. I'm talking about teams playing second-choice goalkeepers, George. Newcastle won't even get the benefit of doing that. Nick Pope, of course, had an absolute catastrophe at the weekend, ends up missing the final through suspension. It is a real shame for him because he's been superb for Newcastle and it would have undoubtedly been one of the biggest moments of his career. Manchester United must be glad that they played Dubravka at some point during the Carabao Cup run because it's inadvertently ended up ruling him out of this final. So it looks like Newcastle are going to turn to Loris Carius. He's not played since February 2021. I don't believe that he's played for an English team since that famous Champions League final in 2018 against Real Madrid, where he made a couple of mistakes. Every now and again in a cup final, stories are just knocked up, George, where someone comes from nowhere to have an impact on the game. And you get the feeling it really could be carious one way or the other. I remember an FA Cup final, the Arsenal one, where Mertesacker hadn't played all season and suddenly he was called into emergency action and he had, he had a great game. You feel that Carrius is going to be a story one way or the other in this one, don't you? You probably do. And I think anyone who watched him uh, as a Liverpool keeper probably thinks he'll have a part to play because it was always box office if it, you know, it wasn't particularly good uh, in terms of what Liverpool were trying to achieve. You know, He was clearly not a very good signing from Liverpool. The fact that he's turned up at Newcastle, seemingly happy to be third choice keeper. I think shows the the trajectory that his career has gone since then. Um, it's a, as you say, it's a disaster for Nick Pope, who a moment of madness, just a, a calamitous, bizarre, strange slip where he ended up handling the ball and then booting Kieran Trippier in the shins, or was it Botman in the shins? Uh, afterwards, um, yeah, won't I mean, be... he nearly took Trippier out of the final as well, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. If you're um, going to do these things, do it properly. It's uh, yeah, it's it's a moment that Pope will look back on. I mean, he's been such an inspired signing for Newcastle for. That for that to happen to him on the eve of of their biggest you know their biggest game in in, in recent times is is going to be particularly upsetting. I think quite a key part of of this game that people aren't necessarily talking about as much is the fact that Manchester United have to play against Barcelona on Thursday night with Newcastle having a week off with no European football. In my mind, that is a massive advantage here for um, for Newcastle in terms of not only United playing late, but it's. A, a huge game. B, a, a game against a team in Barcelona, which is probably going to take more out of you than other than other matches as well. So I think there is reason to be um, positive for that. 
Obviously, Newcastle fans, you know, ticket to like gold dust for this one. I think there'll be a fair few people descending on Wembley Way that probably don't have a ticket um, just for the for the crack. But it's going to be yeah a, a massive occasion, and you have to think with the Carabao Cup, especially the cup finals within this competition, are best when for at least one of the teams it represents a huge game. And there have been too many in the past where it's it's two teams kind of going through the motions. You feel like with Manchester United under Eric Tenag, it's a huge opportunity for them to pick up their first t- uh, trophy under him. And for Newcastle, it's, as I say, one of their biggest games in recent times. This feels to me like the biggest Carabao Cup, biggest League Cup final we've had for uh, for a long time. Well, the suspension gods have been unkind to Nick Pope, but in general terms, they've been kind to the neutral because Bruno Gamares and Casemiro will both return from suspensions for this one. Big, really, isn't it, Tim, that they're both back because they're both pivotal players and, and both teams are significantly weakened with, without their midfield dynamo? You're right. It's good that they're both playing. I find it ridiculous that Bruno Gumaris is allowed to play, to be honest, and Nick Pope isn't, seeing as Bruno was sent off in the Carabao Cup and Nick Pope was sent off in the league. I think it's utterly ludicrous. You know, Pope. there's no way that Pope should be banned for this game. I also think it's ridiculous that the Dubravka can't play, to be honest. That the cup tie rule, yeah. not sure really. Um, that's changed in Europe, hasn't it? You can yeah. you can play in Champions League, for example, you can have played for one team and then play for play for another. It just seems bizarre that you can't do that in every dawn in every cup. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, Newcastle pays wages. I'm fascinated. I, I you know, you used to have the old player cam during sort of Sky Sports games, sort of 10, 15 years ago. I I just want to watch Dubravka for 90 minutes, to be honest. But get his face out in the crowd and see if he's cheering Man United's goals because that's the only way he gets a winner's medal if he's he's Man United win. So yeah, there there are a few interesting sort of dynamics to it. I also believe it's it's Marcus Rashford's first game at Wembley since the Euros final. I can't imagine he's played there since. He was out the England setup, wasn't he? He was out the England squad to the World Cup and I don't believe Man United have played there in the last two years. So that's another interesting aspect to it. And um, just to pick up on a point George made earlier about both teams sort of caring about it, I'd also say the two sets of fans as well, really, because, yeah. you know, no, I don't mean to sort of pick out Man City, but they've had so many trips to Wembley in the last few years that it's become a diluted experience for them to the point where they weren't even selling out for, a, for like an FA Cup semi-final here or there. But you can imagine the, the atmosphere again is going to be one of the best in recent years. Yeah, the, I imagine the whole of Newcastle is going to go to, the, to this cup final, to be honest. The, the, their last cup final, the FA, FA Cup in 2000 and... No, 1999, wasn't it? So, you know, it's a long time since Newcastle have, have had a cup final to go to and they've had a rotten time over the last five or six years. They're now in this unique situation where the, the, the team has got this accelerated progress. Being in a cup final even a year ago is probably unthinkable for them and they're now pushing for the Champions League. They're in a cup final. What, what a great time to, to be in. Newcastle fan. Steve, just looking at uh, some of the odds, who, who are the favourites for this one? Manchester United are our favourites, Dan, at, at 8 to 13 to lift the trophy. Has that changed? With, I'm just interested in this myself. Would that have changed from because of Pope, for example? Pope getting sent off has probably impacted small, the odds, I would think. There was a small market shift uh, for for United to win last Saturday on the back, uh, last weekend on the back of Pope getting sent off. So Newcastle, for argument's sake, drifted out to five to two to win in ninety minutes. But they have come back gradually. But they are eight to thirteen favourites to to lift the trophy with Newcastle at thirteen to ten. I think as a neutral, I'd lo- I'd love to see Newcastle to win it after so long for, for what the fans have gone to as as has gone through. As regards to a game, of course, it was nil nil earlier in the season and the market suggests that it's not going to be we're all excited about it I think the neutrals but it might not be a free-flowing goal fest because the market is saying under two and a half goals so currently and also historically two of the last four finals have finished nil-nil in normal time and this possibly could go to that so it is 
it is nine to two that it is decided um, actually decided after penalties, which of course we have we have seen in recent years. Of course, as an absolute classic, that with the the eleven ten with goalkeepers. Uh, Kepa, I think Kepa's been involved in a couple of finals over the last yeah. few years where he's either either refused to come off or he's skied one high into the Wembley sky to decide the um, the, the actual shootout as well. So we've got a number of marks. Rashford is seven to two to to get the first goal. But I always love the man of the match market. I'm interested yeah, what Tim said then about his his first his first game since since the Euros there at Wembley, and um, he is actually the favourite to win the man of the match award. But I'm, I'm going to ask all three of you for your pick to be man of the match on Sunday. Got to be Carriers for me. It's got to be. We've kept Carriers short at 11 to 1. I think that's a bit on the a bit on the skinny side. Goalkeepers haven't got a great record of winning this. You'll do well. I'll give you a sausage and bacon oat cake if you can tell me the last goalkeeper to win the League Cup final man of the match award. Well, I'm vegetarian. So I'm I thought it might have been Kepper last year, but obviously not. No, it was Virgil van Dijk surprisingly last year. Last goalkeeper. Oh, of course, because he missed the pen, didn't he? It's a good yeah. question, eh, Steve? I'm, Dan, to I'm, yeah. looking, I'm looking at you and I'm thinking... David James? Mm, no. English goalkeeper. It's a great right. guess for any trivia question, that, isn't it, though? David James? Yeah. <laughs> it is, yes. Yeah. Yeah. League Cup final. Think about your near neighbours. Oh, no. oh. It's not Ben Foster, is it? Ben Foster. Ben Foster in 2011 when, uh, yeah, when Blues beat Arsenal. Amazingly, 2-1. Vincent Company's won it twice in the last seven years. John Terry won it in 2015. So I'm sticking with Carriers, mate. Okay, okay. Georgie, who are you going for, pal? Casemiro. Basically, if if, if United win to, to nil, they'll, right. they'll just give it him. I queried two prices in our book. Casemiro was one of them, 12 to 1. Yeah. I th- I th- Have a bit to me, I think it should be I think it should be single figures. And mm. Tim? Uh Fabian Shaw. Oh, that is a real left field shot. That is deep. I, just, I don't like going for the obvious answer, and I think you know if Newcastle win and they keep a clean sheet. Then it'll and he scores, from, and he scores from a set play. He's obviously their main threat from set plays. He's, he's That's 50, also he's what a... I was thinking, Steve. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. well, well, Terry and company have scored in the last few years and won it. So yeah, fifty to one, Tim. I think you might have the spot of value there, pal. Spot of was value. Tri- was Trippier out of interest? He would be the other one I'd, I'd look at. Captain of the day or be could you be involved in all, a set piece goal. All big prices, twenty-five to one, Trippier. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Rashford leads the way at 7-2, Bruno at 9-2 and uh, Alexander Isak at 10, Sam Maximan 10 as well. So yeah, um, could be a spot of value there, guys. How much validation would success bring to, to Manchester United, George? Because Eric Ten Hag, he's doing an incredible job actually. I think they're probably ahead of where most people would have said they would be, especially after the, the start they had to, to the season. You know, he's having lunch with Fergie. It's all going off for Eric Ten Hag. And he's getting Roy Keane tickets for the final. You know, it's really the, the people's choice. The fans love him. All the ex-players, ex-managers saying to love him. This would just be the icing on the cake. Yeah, I think he's doing a pretty much a 10 out of 10 job. I don't think he could be expected to do much more. Because the football season's quite long, I always feel sorry for managers that pre-season expectations are often forgotten about when you're measuring their performance and because United have been pretty good now since basically November I think people forget that not only was pre-season expectation that was that they wouldn't finish in the top four but also that they started the season off incredibly poorly like it wasn't long ago that City game where they were absolutely destroyed and miles off the top the top end of the table and I think you've got to credit Tenard with doing that I think when you've got Marcus Rashford a player who is probably going through the best run of form like in comparison to their you know mean performance level that we've seen any player in the Premier League 
in, in years. You've got to credit Tenag with that, the form of Varane this season compared to last season, the form of Luke Shaw. Every facet of what he's doing at Manchester United seems to be working. So I think he's doing an incredible job. I think he is showing up the previous um, incumbents of this job that actually, you know, we were told for a time that there was no way that Manchester United could ever be successful under the Glazers. And actually it turns out that even though the uh, issues that Manchester United fans have with the Glazers, the squad was still there, was good enough to to achieve results. A, A trophy here would, of course, validate what he's done so far to an extent. But I think it's already been validated. I think everyone can see mm. how much better they are and, and the trajectory they're on. And the fact that they're still, yeah, I mean, they're an outside chance. I don't know what price they are now, Steve. I guess kind of 12, 14 to 1. But the fact they're still in the Premier League title race as it stands right now, um, I think is more testament as to what he's done than, than winning the Carabao Cup. Could he be yeah, manager of the year if they, um, sorry to interrupt, Dan. Do you think he's, he's a possible runner for manager of the year? I, th- I think it could be wide open this year. I think Arteta seen... probably stands in his way, doesn't he? Again, yeah. but that's another case where I think people forget how far off Arsenal was seen to be back in, in July, August. You know, for them, they were 50 to 1 to win the title. And now it's probably going to go down as them throwing it away when actually for Arteta to, to take them to the levels they've been this season is, a, is an unbelievable job from him. Marco Silva would have a shout at the, at the moment. As yeah, well. there's quite for a few days. There seems to be quite a few runners there. Eddie Howe, Thomas year. Frank. Yeah, yeah. There's, loads, there's, loads. there's been some good, good managers this year, some good, some good overperformances, I would say. Gone and let's finish then. Who's 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 going to win the Carabao Cup, George? I think Newcastle will win it. As I say, I think I think United having to play Barca on Thursday night. It's going to be tough. It's going to be really tough for them to, to bounce back in three days up against a fresh Newcastle side. Tim, I definitely sort of take George's point. I guess what I'd say is that Newcastle are in their worst slump of the season. Yeah, bad timing. Albeit so, so were Arsenal, and you know they found resolve from somewhere to beat uh, to beat Villa. Although that's not that hard. Um, <laughs> the other day, and I guess m- maybe the overriding point is that Man United have got two things that Newcastle don't which is a goal scorer who's fit and in form in Marcus Rashford. Newcastle don't have that at the moment. And also a reliable goalkeeper for the most part in David De Gea, whereas, you know, we don't know what we're going to get from Karius. And it, it, it's, I know what you mean, Dan, the hero story coming from nowhere, but the, the fact of the matter is he hasn't, he hasn't kicked the ball in competitive football for two years. So it's it's asking a lot. And I think um, you've got to favour Manchester United quite strongly. Yeah, I mean, if my team had just lost at home to Bournemouth, I wouldn't be coming at Midland Rivals, that's for sure. <laughs> Who are you going for, Steve? Yeah, I'd like, I'd like Newcastle to win, but I think with, with Rashford, the form is in, he's only 40 to 1 to win the Ballon d'Or, which is, uh, I never thought I'd be saying that. I think with the form that Rashford's in, I can see Manchester United winning it by uh, one goal to nil. And I know this is pre-Barcelona but we do have uh, we have 46 bets on Man United winning the quad at, at 10,000 to 1 so that's uh, that's uh, quite astonishing I think yeah I mean we're recording this before the, the Europa League ties taken place in 90 minutes of football or even 120 minutes of football maybe, maybe penalties you know anything can happen injuries can, can, can occur so yeah we could be talking about this now but things could dramatically change in the lead of Sunday I'm, I'm going to go Manchester United as well I think that it's come at the right time for them the, the final whereas Newcastle I feel like maybe it was a few weeks ago it was better timing for them so yeah I'm going to go for Manchester United as well next we'll switch our focus to the top of the Premier League Hello there, my name's Taylor Payne, host of The Athletic's dedicated Newcastle United podcast, Pon on the Tyne. It's a rather big week for the Magpies with an actual cup final this Sunday and a chance to end our 68-year wait for silverware. Yes, 68 whole years. Join myself, George Coggan, Chris Woff and Jacob Whitehead as we build up to that showdown at Wembley. And there'll be an extra special show next week, bringing you all the sounds, sights, emotions and smells from what we hope will be a weekend we'll never forget. 
Just search for Pod on the Tyne on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. You're listening to the Weekend Preview here on the Athletic Football Podcast. Producer Guy has decided to switch things up a little bit this week, a bit of tactical flexibility shown from our producers. So instead of looking at the individual games, we're actually going to focus on what's going on in the league. So we're going to start with the title race. So it's Leicester v Arsenal, which is Saturday at 3 o'clock. And then following that, Bournemouth take on Manchester City Saturday at 5.30pm. Bournemouth, of course, fresh from a great win away at Molyneux. How significant was last weekend? Arsenal two points clear with the game in hand. The manner in which they won, of course, coming from behind twice and winning in stoppage time can really galvanise a team, Tim. It felt like a big weekend in the the title race, especially with the follow-on from Manchester City as well. Yeah, the double-header, yeah. I felt like it was Arsenal's biggest win of the season, personally. Watching it, 2-1 down, lacking inspiration, looking like they were winless in five. You know, that's how they were playing. You know, to to come back from adversity twice, to come back from, from a losing position twice, the manner that they won it in stoppage time, not just that, Ramsdale making that incredible save in like that. That, was, that save minute. has not been talked about. Even that was such a good save. Absolutely, you know, it kind of got lost in Martinez's antics, but um, arguably the most important save of the season, you know, in the Premier League so far. So, did that result impact Man City later in the day? I mean, you know, we'll never know, but it, it felt like a pivotal, potentially a pivotal day. However, it probably won't be because what I really like about this title race, you know, as good as Man City and Liverpool have been in recent years, you've just known that they're both going to win every single week a little bit. And it's been a little, it's been predictable. It's still been great to watch, but it's been predictable. This feels like an unpredictable title race to me. However, Arsenal have the upper hand because I remember saying last week, it felt like this is Arteta's biggest challenge now. They've hit a real slump. They've been beaten fairly comfortably by Man City. Can he get them going a few days later on a Saturday morning at Villa against Emery and all that came with it? And he did. And if, if you know, we'll see what plays out in the coming weeks and it might be impossible to call, like I said, with all these twists and turns, but it, it felt extremely important for them to get that win. Yeah, Man City have dropped points in three of the last four Premier League away games, George. The defeats to Manchester United and Spurs, as well as a draw last weekend that we've just spoke about at Forest. I was watching them last night against Leipzig, thought they were good in in the first half, and then the, the second half, they kind of got overpowered a, a little bit. Oh, I thought they just looked susceptible, and that hasn't been Manchester City in recent seasons, and it still feels like something's just not quite right there. I mean, to say something's not quite right yet, yeah, they're still banging the title race. Sounds stupid, but they aren't the same beast from the last few seasons. No, they're not. And I think it's just a lack of informed players in key areas. 
You know, I think when City have been at their at their magnificent best, you've had Ruben Diaz at the back as a, as a centre back who completely changed what they were as a football team when he came into the club. Joao Cancelo from fullback, creating regularly from either side. He played uh, Kevin De Bruyne playing, um, just pulling all the strings in midfield. Rodri sitting in front of the of the defence. You know, of that group. I'd say Rodri is the only one who you can say hasn't struggled for formal fitness this season. And, you know, in terms of Cancelo, he's now, he's now left the club. So when you're looking at how they can hurt you, I think the relentlessness of Manchester City has, has taken a bit of a dive now with, with fewer threats, fewer, less strength and depth. And it means that previously where they would be totally dominant in games, you're now seeing pockets of the match where other teams can come into it. And that was the case with, with the game last night where City dominated the ball, dominated the chances in the first half. But Leipzig not only came back into the game, you know, they had they had territory for quite a lot of the game, which isn't something you're used to seeing City um, defending, especially a 1-0 up in a two-legged game in the first leg. You know, you, you anticipate that a Pep Guardiola team would continue to play incredibly high and have a high line. The same can be said of the Forest game, where Manchester City exerted nearly total control in the game, but weren't able to turn that into more than a one-goal lead. And in that tiny little pocket of of opportunity that Forrest got, they were clinical and, and made it one-all. Something isn't necessarily right. And, and the issue, if there is an issue, and, and you know, who am I to, to doubt Pep Guardiola because his genius is is pretty evident. But he is someone who you can see just how busy his mind is. And when things aren't going well, he just cannot help himself from just putting you know trying to instigate change in ways that other people wouldn't even dream of um we're seeing what's going on with, with Bernardo Silva at the moment and there's no continuity in terms of what they're doing week in week out because he's just trying to fix things so aggressively rather than having one idea of how to make a change that that, that could see them step on and I think dropping points or, or during the game at, at Leipzig is only gonna instigate more of those wheels turning in, in Pep's mind it's going to lead to more crazy ways he's going to try and fix it and that at times can be genius but we know that if you look at City's Champions League record under Guardiola we know that when Pep overthinks things that can often be his, his downfall I like, I like the fact that you think you don't have a right to criticise <laughs> Only you, do, you do have one to criticise <laughs> Carlo Angelotti though you've got every, you've yeah, got every yeah, right to, different, to, you've every right to do that different beasts those two in terms of tactical <laughs> Steve George talks of uh, Pep overthinking and experimenting and and, and things like that. One thing he has experimented in recent weeks is Bernardo Silva kind of playing from left back, but then finding himself in the middle of the park, which is where he plays anyway, I I suppose. But I do feel that just not having a genuine option left back is a bit of a problem. Yeah, with Cancelo, of course, surprisingly going to Germany. And we saw the experiments against Arsenal didn't work, did it, in the first half. I think he was... uh, he was sharply moved out. I think Ake moved to the left, didn't he? And Akanji also came on to play central against Arsenal. So, so yeah, I think he's like George says. We always, we always, when we talk about Pep and Manchester City aren't winning, and and, and when you want to criticise him, you say that he just tend to to overthink things. But they are still favourites, surprising enough to win this league at at ten to eleven, Dan. Regardless of last week's results, with Arsenal at eleven to ten. But I think like. We've already said this season. I mean, I suppose for like for years and years and years they've gone toe to toe with Liverpool, and it's been it must take a hell of a lot out of you. And for us for, to keep going week on week out, cup finals every it must feel like a cup final every single game to get three points up, up on the board. It must be tough just to keep the momentum going. But they've got that, and you look at the their away games that they've had at, at Nottingham Forest, where they've. At, Tottenham Hotspur as well, Manchester United, where they either drawn or, or lost games. And you look at it, you think, well, they're two to seven to beat Bournemouth at the weekend. Yet 
Personally, I'm not sure if I'll be rushing to bat that sort of price. Admittedly, they haven't never lost to Bournemouth, I think, in, in 18 games. So Bournemouth are yet to... Scored a lot of goals as well. Scored a lot of goals. The last time Bournemouth kept a clean sheet against Manchester City, Eddie Howe was in the Bournemouth defence in 1999. And Manchester City had two players sent off that day. I will, uh, I will give you a vegetarian oatcake if you can guess one of those two players. On earth have you pulled that stuff from? I'm not sure I want a vegetarian oatcake. Can you ask, ask the question yeah. again? In, oh, well. in 1999, the last time Bournemouth kept a clean sheet against Manchester City, Manchester City had two players sent off. Both tigerish midfielders in their day, both renowned for putting a tackle in. One left foot, one right foot, I think. One scored a very fame. Um, one scored a very famous own goal at Main Road for Manchester ooh, City. Yeah. Uh, Jamie Pollock. Pollock is one of them. Yeah. Is he the left-footed one? No. He's Kevin Horlock. That's Kevin the other one. Kevin Horlock is nice. the other one. Vegetarian outcat coming my way. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'll bring you down to Litchfield in about half an hour, Dan. You can have mine as well, Dan. <laughs> even even better. Just to, talking about this, this total race. Just looking at the the fixtures that are upcoming in the in the total race now. So. The volume of games for Manchester City stands out, although Arsenal's Europa League tie hasn't been scheduled yet, so we, we don't know who that's going to be against. But I don't think either team will look at the games. I think there's any there that are unwinnable. But Arsenal have got Leicester away, Everton at home, Bournemouth home, Fulham away, which is a tough one, and then Palace at home, all in the Premier League, and then the Europa League game will be slotted in there somewhere too. Manchester City, Bournemouth away, Bristol City away in the FA Cup, Newcastle at home, Crystal Palace away, and Leipzig at home in the Champions League. And then the last one there is West Ham at home. I think because of the way the Champions League's set now, George, as well, you know, that's a, a lot will have to go into that game to get through and get past Leipzig. It, it's, it's finally set that, that, that Champions League tie. So, like I say, neither team have got a game there that will particularly worry them. But the volume appears worse for Manchester City. And you do feel at the moment their squad's a, li- a little stretched at times, perhaps, because he, someone like Calvin Phillips, for example, Pep just seems to have no trust in him mm. whatsoever. Rodri's playing every single week. And you also feel like trying to second guess which teams City and Arsenal are going to drop points to is, is a bit of a fool's game because you had Arsenal getting beaten by, by Everton, Manchester City drawing with Nottingham Forest. So I don't think it's as simple as just saying, you know, these are winnable games. Um, as Tim said, these two sides do seem more likely to drop points uh, than in previous title races. So I've got no doubt we're going to continue to see points being dropped by both of them. I think that's why Manchester United still deserve a place in this conversation because if they're able to put a run of wins together and those two teams continue to drop points against the poorer teams in the division, it's not going to be long until they bridge that gap. Arsenal, I guess, are more likely, given the Europa League, certainly not a priority for them this season. And in the Europa League, they normally play their Europa League team anyway. So um, in terms of European fixtures, you'd think Arsenal have a slight advantage over City. Let's move on now to the top four hopefuls. Fulham, unbelievable. We're talking about them being a top four hopeful against Wolves Friday at eight o'clock. That's, that's a big game. Crystal Palace v Liverpool Saturday night at 7.45 and then Tottenham v Chelsea will be on Sunday at 1.30. George, Liverpool then, recently biased on this podcast. For 10 minutes, 15 minutes, I was sat there thinking, oh, Liverpool are back, 2-0 up. Real Madrid were looking pretty, whatever the opposite of press resistant is because Liverpool just had to press them and get the ball every time in that first 10 to 15 minutes. They're 2-0 up and you're thinking they're looking good. Then Real Madrid, who were very good in their in their defence, there's a, with a lot of help from Liverpool, 
win the game 5-2, defensive errors galore, and you now start to think, what will the effect of that game be now for Liverpool in the, in, in the coming weeks? You know, this game away at Crystal Palace, a ground where they've had problems at before previously when going for titles. You do worry about them now? Yeah, I think psychologically it's a, it's a bit of a disaster, this. Um, to go to Newcastle, take the lead 11 v 11, have their keeper sent off and coast to a 2-0 victory, gets you back on track. You then have a massive home game against the holders of the Champions League in the one major trophy that even when you start the season, realistically, is the trophy that they wanted to win. And go 2-0 up, things looking great. Darwin Nunez scores a, an unbelievable finish. And Mo Salah looks to be, you know, with the help of Thibaut Courtois, gets on the score sheet as well and things, as you say, looking very rosy. So for them to capitulate in the way that they did undoes so much good work. You've got to look at some of the performances um, from Liverpool. Yes, that the first goal from Vinicius was a quality strike, but you had Gomez looking miles off it. I think Alisson, you know, you had the deflected goal as well. Yes, Real Madrid were very good and you have to give them credit for that. But I think Liverpool made it look incredibly easy for them. Uh, In my mind, that is still two teams who I I don't think are the requisite quality to win the Champions League this season. I've said that before with Real Madrid and I'm sure I'll I'll end up looking stupid again. But, you know, the fact that Madrid are still, I think, six to one, are they, Steve, to to win the Champions League, you know, shows that and that, you know, they're miles off Barcelona in 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 La Liga as well. In my mind, this was more to do with the Liverpool side who are just so short of belief, so short of just a winning mentality that has defined the Klopp era in, in previous years um, and a couple of quality players you know Vinicius clearly on the day uh, Luka Modric still able to control games of football Champions League level despite his age you know it was, it was a great game to watch for everybody apart from Liverpool fans yeah, they just don't seem to be able to respond to adversity in, in, in the ways that they would have done in the past under Klopp Liverpool you know, the 2-0 up you'd think they must be absolutely flying here they've won the last couple of Premier League games as well but they concede a goal then they give up a, a, a bad goal strike after that as well and then just completely fall apart. It's, it's the responding to adversity from Liverpool that's one of their many problems at the moment. Tim, if you were a manager of a football team and your team kept winning when you weren't there, would you be concerned? Because that's what keeps happening with Tottenham. I don't think he's that bothered, to be honest. He's, he'd, he'd be off in the summer anyway. Um He'll, he'll get his uh, he'll get his bonus for a top four finish at this rate. I'm sure that's uh, sorry. I should, probably shouldn't uh, shouldn't slander Antonio Conte. I'm sure he's uh, I'm sure he's just delighted that the team are winning. Dan, um, but it is a it is a freakish run that yes, Delaney has taken charge of not just three games um, at Spurs, but also three at Inter in the previous two seasons, and and uh, he's won all six. So. Um, Oh, we had an interesting chat on the on the View from the Lane uh, Spurs podcast about this this week, and my colleague Jack Pitbrook made a really interesting point that you know there must be something more to this. It's become less of a coincidence the more times it happens. Yeah, he made a good point that Conte is so full on, he's so one hundred percent, he makes all the decisions, he does everything, he's a control freak, he's extremely passionate. As we've seen um, with the fact that he returned from gallbladder surgery one week later, you know he 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 just cannot switch off and turn off. But the fact that he's not there. Takes means he has to take a step back, and the players have therefore taken a bit more responsibility. You know, they're not following his instructions to the absolute letter. And Kane and Hoiberg and a couple of the senior players have really come to the fore in recent weeks when Conte hasn't been around. So yeah, it doesn't appear like he's going to be there for this um, massive game against Chelsea on on Sunday. And um, he's still recuperating back in Italy. But despite that, and despite a good result against West Ham last week, you know this is a this is a fixture that Spurs really fear even more so than against Arsenal they've got a massive inferiority complex when it comes to playing Chelsea rightly so after going two decades without beating them but the run has kind of restarted again now certainly at home not only have they not beaten Chelsea at the new stadium but they haven't scored against them 
either. So when I make the point to Spurs following uh, supporters or correspondents that um, Chelsea are in the, their worst period for two decades, they'd say, well, it doesn't matter because Spurs always lose against Chelsea. No, this has to. This is the best time ever. For so them I to, tried telling to them that it just has to be. I mean, this what we're watching from Chelsea at the moment just just isn't Chelsea. When I was young, I think Chelsea were a mid-table side under, under Glenn Hoddle. They might have finished mid-table, but since then, you know, they've been nowhere near where where, where they are now. And Tottenham have got I've got to be thinking they've got a great chance of three points at, at the weekend. Does anyone involved in this podcast think that Graham Potter won't see out the season for Chelsea? I think he'll be there for opening day next season. Yeah, I think he'll go. You'll go. go this season. I, I think the I think the pressure is just going to get too much. I was listening to Liam Toomey, our Chelsea correspondent, say earlier that Spurs and Leeds are next Chelsea's next two games, and then it's the Dortmund rematch. And Spurs and Leeds are the two are the two clubs that Chelsea fans hate more than any others. And if they don't get results against those two, you know, we heard the loud, very loud public boos yeah. after that one 0 defeat on Southampton. But I, I might be. Might be wrong saying they weren't calling for his head. However, you know, a couple of bad results against Spurs and Leeds and then if they don't progress in the Champions League, I, I just think it becomes too much. It's almost like the new signings are kind of buying him a bit more time in in, in some respects because people are saying it's due to that, but they were pretty poor before those new signings came in. Do you not think that, I mean, in my mind, I understand why Chelsea fans have had enough and, and I think the majority of them want him to be sacked now from what, from what I can tell. But I think from the owner's point of view, at a time of massive transition, of new ownership, of a new non-footballing structure being implemented with a huge amount of money being spent in January and all of this kind of going on around Potter, who's in his first ever job at a club of this size, I can see why, given you've recruited him based on talent ID, you would want to give him a summer away from the pressures of, of Saturday, Tuesday football and enable him to actually build something on the training ground over the course of a summer and judge him on that. That's what I think they absolutely want to do. Whether or not it will just be, as Tim says, too much. Whether they drop points against Spurs and Leeds and the fan pressure and you know, and it becomes basically unfair on Graham Potter to be wheeled out in front of a, a, a baying mob who effectively have given up on him might be a different story. But you know, I think if they do sack him between now and May, it will be reluctantly rather than because they don't think he's necessarily the man to take them forward. Yeah, it's a, I, I sense the Chelsea hierarchy would want to keep him around and want to give him time and want to give him that pre-season that you talk about, George. But if he gets too much with the fans, it will be very difficult for them for them to do that. And, you know, losing to Southampton at home last week was not a good look at all. Only the top four have won more games than Fulham. They play Wolves on Friday night and they're only four points behind Tottenham. Tim, they couldn't, could they? No, I don't think so. It's fantastic what they're doing, especially without Mitrovic's goals. You know, I think we all said at the start of the season it would be Mitrovic who, who could fire them in, into a great position and potentially into Europe. But I don't quite see it. I personally, despite their form, uh, their many issues, I do have Liverpool as sort of slight favourites. It's not really they've not really earned the right for me to say that. I don't think, but it's just I think it's between Spurs and Liverpool as things stand, and no, the Newcastle difference between too. the two. Newcastle, um, no. I think I think they're going to drop off. But personally, I would say it's between Liverpool and Spurs. They've been there, done it. They've got the best squads and the managers who've, who've been there at this very top level before, personally. But Liverpool have got more firepower than Spurs and Newcastle combined, to be honest. Spurs have got defensive frailties and midfield issues, so Liverpool. But yeah, if, if Salah and Nunes and Jota and Gakpo can score... That they're mean, you know, their average number of goals. Then Liverpool, their Liverpool should finish top four just about. What do the bookies think, Steve? I think our model needs a tweak, to be honest with you, because Liverpool are six to four um, to finish. I think that's far too short. They are the same price as Newcastle, and 
everyone's been waxing Lyric about Eddie Howe and the, and the job that he's done, etc. And they're, they're the same price as Liverpool. So I think that's, like Tim says, he, he thinks that the Newcastle are going to drop off just a little bit. And, and Spurs are just behind at, at seven to four. So it looks one spot available with, uh, with three sides going for it. And then we have Brighton at, at 12 to one and Chelsea, of course, are at 33 to one, who are now 11 to two to finish in the bottom half, which is, Quite incredible for a, for a side like Chelsea, two hundred and fifty to one to be relegated. I know that that's not going to happen, but um, and then you have Fulham at sixty sixes. So even though Fulham are absolutely flying high, I think from a statistic point of view, I think Bert Leno has been incredible for them this season. He's, he's, he's the second best goalkeeper in goals prevented in the Premier League by uh, eight. I think seven point eight his goals prevented uh, number is this season. They've been brilliant defensively, but their XG against is as is as high as Bournemouth's. Yet they they've only conceded what thirty is it this season around that mark. So it's uh, it's only a couple off Liverpool and uh, and one more than Brighton. I think it is that they've conceded. But it's been a brilliant season. Again, I, I said a couple of weeks ago that I thought they'd finish mid table at, at best, and uh, and that's where I think they'll they'll do. But I'm hoping. They'll get three points on Friday night. Of course, I don't know who they got. Why have you Why have you got to say that <laughs> on the top four odds? Just comparing Liverpool and Brighton, Liverpool six to four, Brighton twelve to one. This yeah. season, their records are exactly the same. Brighton, Liverpool both played. It's 10 the model, games, George. The model just played record. twenty-two games. Both won ten games. Both drawn five games. Both lost seven games. Both with a goal difference of ten. Brighton yeah. having beaten Liverpool twice. That the match prices. Seems... Yeah, the match prices that they're going off. There's still faith in Liverpool quite clearly from punters, and I think the model needs a tweak. Well, let's finish with that. Well, let's finish this segment with a, a Spurs Chelsea trivia. Four managers have taken charge of both Tottenham and Chelsea in the Premier League era. I've got to say, I think I've got all four in my head. Me too. Who are they? So I'll come to you first, then George Confident. Andre Villas Boas. Good one. Tim? Mourinho. Mourinho. Steve? Glenn Hoddle. Glenn Hoddle, which leaves me to. Who do, oh, no, right there. Oh. So you've hang on. I've forgotten who said. <laughs> no, I've got them. I've forgotten who said what. It's who the easy one, George. Villas Boas. Who did you. Villas Boas, Tim. What did you say? Mourinho. Mourinho. He's buying time. Mourinho. He's buying time. Oh, yeah, Google, uh, Google. Steve, who was yours? Glenn Hoddle. Glenn Hoddle. Do you want to go oh, around again? I've forgotten the. Do you want to go around again? No, I'll get it. I have forgotten the fourth. I have forgotten the fourth one. I had them all in my head as I was reading the question, and I've read the question, uh, okay. yeah. and I've completely forgotten. Yeah. Alexa, uh, who's managed? Yeah. <laughs> I forgot. You know what? I forgot. I've purely forgotten. Now I'm panicking, and I've got no one in my head. No one in my head. Who's the fourth one? Yeah, you got to, you got to tell us. Well, I've got the answers, haven't I? Yeah, I could go and have a look at that. I'm going to be really annoyed. Oh, come on, it's now. so obvious. It's Conte, it. yeah, yeah, well yeah. done. <laughs> Honestly, I did know. I knew the answers. You all took the three that I didn't expect you to take. I thought I thought AVB would be the one that was left for the end, and he and he wasn't. So yeah, I'm like an idiot there, but that's easily done. Next, we're going to get stuck into the battle for survival. I say, I think I've got all four in my head. This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. 
And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Right then, before we continue with the podcast, please remember that if you are going to have a bet this weekend, make sure that you do so responsibly. George, you've got some helpful tips on how to make sure that we do just that. Yeah, it's important to us that the listeners of this podcast are in control of their gambling. This is a podcast for those who are 18 years of age and older. Please ensure that you are only staking what you can afford to lose and do visit BeGambleAware.org for any information to ensure that you're gambling responsibly. This is the weekend preview here on the Athletic Football Podcast and now we're going to look at the relegation battle as Everton take on Villa, Leeds v Southampton and West Ham against Nottingham Forest which are all Saturday 3 o'clock kickoffs jeopardy there. All three sides in the relegation zone last weekend won. Steve, will we set for the tightest Premier League relegation battle in, in history? 40 points could actually be required this time round. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, the team to finish in 18th place, we've got a market on over and under 39 and a half points, so 40 points or more. So that's a seven to four shot, Dan. And, and as you know, plenty of those do cop. But yeah, from a, a bookmaking point of view, you know, some big shocks last week. Southampton at, at, at seven to one, Bournemouth at four to one, Everton were only 17 to 10 to win. That was a tight game against the Leeds from a betting point of view. But the more, the merrier. We like plenty of wins down there, but I. I think I mentioned Tim last week. I think Wolves were the last side to to get forty points and need forty points to to stay up. And uh, yeah, hopefully again we'll we'll see plenty of that. Obviously, there's a lot of teams down there getting new manager bounces and and whatever. It's just so finely poised. Yeah, we're talking of new manager bounces. Sean Dyche has won both of his games at Goodison Park so far, and their home games you think will be paramount, like they were last season. Seven of their final fifteen are actually at home, but it's only Villa and. Bournemouth, who they play on the final day of the season, who visit, who are currently in the bottom half. Tim, Everton, you know, those, those two home wins are absolutely massive for them, but both 1-0, another big home game th- this weekend. The Everton fans, they don't like a lot of what's going on in their club at, at, at the moment, but come match day, when they, when they need their fans, Everton, they're there and they'll get behind them at Goodison Park, won't they? So teams won't relish going there, but it is their home form that's going to be really important. 
well, we're getting deja vu from last year when they had these, you know, these huge occasions with the flares, the fans lying in the streets, the rabble rousing Goodison Park home wins. They beat Man United and Chelsea, I think, from memory. This season, they've already beaten Arsenal very recently. So, you know, yeah, you say uh, they're mostly playing teams in the top half at home, but it feels like Dice can galvanise them to beat anybody if they've, if they've beaten the league leaders. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think we've said before, it does feel like a very, very good fit. No, not just the circumstances that Everton find themselves in, but also the players that Sean Dyche has at his disposal in that squad. A lot of them feel like Dyche players to me. And yeah, if they're at home, they should be okay. But as far as away form, you know, we saw in their horrendous defeat to uh, Liverpool. They were terrible at Liverpool, absolutely awful. So um, yeah, home form good, away form terrible, but um, I do fancy them this weekend. Well, it's Leeds v Southampton up against each other this weekend. Leeds, of course, lost that huge game at Goodison Park last week. They're also the latest clubs on the managerial merry-go-round and they're taking very different approaches. Xavi Grazia is in at Leeds and he's up against Ruben Sellers at Southampton, who arrived in the summer as assistant to Ralph Hausenhutl. Remember him? He won at Stamford Bridge last week and he wants the job, as was reported on The Athletic this week. There was a great piece about him and, and how he's arrived at Southampton and, and what he did last week in the lead up to the Chelsea game. How do you see this one going, Tim? I liked the job that Javi Grazia did at, at, at Watford. Um, he got into to the cup final. They could have reached Europe that year in sort of normal circumstances. I remember they were sort of seventh hovering around with Wolves at the time uh, that spring came around and then fell away. Uh, badly at the end but that was with a much better squad of players you know they had the likes of Dini and Delefeu and Decore I was kind of holding judgment on Leeds until I saw who they appointed and when you know when when the rumours or the the news came up the night before he was appointed it, it didn't fill me with great hope for Leeds to be honest I think they'll be right in it up until the final day I'm not I'm not sure despite what Southampton did last week I'm not sure that they've got enough to drag themselves out of survival it'll be interesting to see what they do managerially but um, yeah this is um, this is a huge one I think both clubs at the moment have got relegation written all over them so um, something needs to change well, I know it hasn't gone under the radar with West Ham fans but it feels like it's gone in, under the radar in general they look in serious danger West Ham famously weren't too good to go down in 2003 although they were relegated with the highest points total in Premier League history Steve is Moyes part of the problem or do they just simply not have the players that they need they've done a lot of business over the over the last you know two transfer windows to make themselves a lot worse they, they had a good thing they finished top six top seven that the last few years they had a good thing under Moyes and they seem to have bought in players that just kind of go away from what Moyes wants and they're really struggling at the moment Danny Ings has come in and I remember saying on this podcast I think that I don't think he'll help West Ham because I don't think he'll fit into to the way they play and so far he's, he's had little impact although he has had injuries but they just look a bit of a mess and that game against Spurs last weekend it was a bizarre setup. Yeah I mean in, in, in the defence I mean they of Derby Moyes they, it's three tough games I suppose Newcastle, Chelsea, Tottenham and now they've got a a run of, of some home games, you know, they've got, of course, Forest, Villa, Southampton, Newcastle, those type of games, especially the first three, where they'll be expected to get some points on the board. I think the away fans, obviously the true fans who travel up and down the country will be frustrated. They haven't won away from home since August when they went to um, went to Villa Park and won. Yeah, you I, mentioned, I know yeah, that was against. Yeah, you mentioned Danny Ings. He hasn't had a shot on target yet for, for West Ham. He's played only 72 minutes there, so, so clearly... That hasn't worked. And they're obviously going to be nervous. Southampton and Bournemouth have, have won. That Everton have changed manager for the good with, with Sean Dyche coming in now. So And they're looking over their shoulders now. And I think uh, Rice was talking after after the last game 
about the strikers being isolated at Tottenham and, of course, Antonio's um, not scoring the goals that he has previously uh, for West Ham as well. There are clearly concerns um, at the football club as well, but they aren't in the relegation mires yet as far as the bookmakers are concerned. They are joint six favourites with Wolves at 7-2. to two. You say they're looking over the shoulder, but... They're in it. There's not many that can look over their shoulder at the, at the moment. West Ham, they are, they are deep in the mire. And we'll just take a little look at, at Bournemouth, who play Manchester City, as we mentioned earlier. They've picked up points in three of their last four games, winning one and drawing two. Had a couple of, of good results in there. But prior to last weekend, they were winless in seven, George. Out of all the teams on the bottom, it may be a stupid thing to say, but it feels like the pressure's on them the least. In terms of... The expectation is that they'll go down. Yeah, I like. They, I feel like they can go quietly about about their business in trying to stay up, and there won't be much noise around it because they're where they would have expected to be. So, whereas some of the other teams, they'll have had ideas have been a lot higher up the table. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. Although, I guess you have to remember that they did make the decision to part ways with the manager because of early season results. That when Gary O'Neill first took over, they looked to be safe in mid table for a while, but. Yeah, I guess the appointment of Guy O'Neill suggested that they were a, a club who weren't willing just to go and, and do whatever was necessary to try and stay up. He they got heavily know. back there in January. There was a lot of signings. Again, I think that's not necessarily just an attempt to try and blast you out of money. The, the signings they made were, were generally young talent. It wasn't like we're going to go out and buy loads of 30 plus players who hopefully are going to secure us. You know, it wasn't going out and buying um, Root Veghorst like like Burnley did uh, on their way down. I think it was recruiting well. If they do go down, they'll have some of the best talent in the EFL when they do come down and they'll make a decent fist of going back up again. So yeah, I agree. Less pressure. I personally thought they were probably destined for relegation, but a 1-0 win at Wolves certainly helps that. Although the next three games are Man City, Arsenal and Liverpool. So uh, if they can pick up any points from those three, that would be picking up points on the field. Interesting stuff. So those are our featured games to look out for this weekend with the full Premier League fixture list looking a little like this. It all gets underway on Friday night with Fulham against Wolves at 8 o'clock. There's no early game on Saturday, so straight into the 4-3 o'clock kickoffs. Absolutely raging with that. Everton v Villa, Leeds v Southampton, Leicester, Arsenal and West Ham against Forest. And then at tea time, Manchester City travel to Bournemouth before a Saturday evening game between Palace and Liverpool, which kicks off at 7.45. Moving on to Sunday, it's Spurs v Chelsea at 1.30 before the Carabao Cup final between Manchester United and Newcastle at 4.30. Before we go, Steve, over to you for the six scores challenge. Yet again, I completely forgot to do it last week, but we never win anyway, so it doesn't matter. No, and the million pound hasn't been won yet, Dan, in the in the free-to-play game where we've got to pick uh, six correct scores with consolation prizes for three, four and five. Now, the first game here is Everton versus Aston Villa. And I was thinking about this, Dan. I actually went to this fixture in 1989. It was a midweek game. It was, In fact, it was Valentine's night, 1989. And I went on a Villa coach to at Goodison Park. 19, do you remember who played up front for you in 1989? I was three, so it's going to be a bit of a bit of a, a struggle for me to, to get. I can have a guess, Gary Thompson? No, Ian Ormondroyd and Alan McAnally. Oh, Alan McAnally. Yeah, yeah I, I, was, I was three, so I, I've not got strong memories of that day, in fairness. It was one, a one-all draw, and clearly I didn't have a girlfriend. So <laughs> Everton, some things never change. Right, OK. <laughs> Everton, Aston Villa. A very biased 2-1 to Villa. Wow. Leeds, Southampton. 2-2. Two, two. George, Leicester, Arsenal. 1-3. Bournemouth, Manchester City. 0-3. Tim, Palace, Liverpool. 0-2. Uh, Spurs, Chelsea. 2-1 Spurs. 
Spurs fans will be thinking, oh, there's that jinx Spurs again, <laughs> making it easy. No, I, I said they were going to lose last week. I got, I got a bit of stick for that. Uh, okay, interesting. That's it from us here at the Weekend Preview. Chappers is going to be back on Monday here on the Athletic Football Podcast. Until then, enjoy your weekend, enjoy all the football, and thank you very much for listening. The Athletic. <laughs>